Yehudah Kohen, Brit Chazon Vision Magazine, and I'm here with Sheikh Omar Salem from the Light and Guidance for Peace Organization. Sheikh Omar has come all the way to Jerusalem in order to spread his vision of peace with Jews and Palestinians here in the land. And I'd like to just give you a few minutes to say some words about yourself and your work. Yes, um, my name is Omar Salem, and um, I was born and raised in Egypt. Uh, my family immigrated to the U.S., and um, I continued my education. I became very interested in uh, finding a, um, a solution in the uh, Middle East conflict about 10 years ago, and that's when I started studying um, the Hebrew Bible and uh, started to uh, make frequent trips to the Holy Land. In, uh, in hopes of getting a deeper understanding mm. of, of the issues and the conflict between the Arabs and the Jews, and then find ways to uh, reconcile between the two. Um, I feel that uh, the peace treaty between Egypt uh, and Israel, which is about 40 years old at this point, has not done justice to, 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 to actually bring peace to the region. Um, we might have normal relations between governments, but we do not have normal relations between, between, uh, people. between people. And so, that's what I'm focused on. Right. And that's what's important to me. So you're a, a scholar of Islam who, who also studied specifically the role of the children of Israel in Islamic thought. Yeah, That's been your focus. That's been my focus. So yes. why don't you tell us a little bit about that? What do we need to know about the role the people of Israel play in Islamic thought? Well, the people of Israel are mentioned in our holy book, uh, the Quran. Um, they're mentioned 40 times mm -hmm. as Bani Israel, the children of Israel. The children of Israel. And most of those times they are mentioned in, in, in good context. Uh, in many of the verses they are mentioned uh, with admonition mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, shaking them saying, don't do this. Obey God the way you're supposed to in your Torah, mm -hmm. and uh, do not violate uh, your own covenant. Mm -hmm. Our covenant being the Torah. Your covenant being the Torah. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. The Quran wants to hold you true to your covenant, mm -hmm. and the and 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 the Quran has a message that um, that's very negative to the Bani Israel or the Jewish people when they violate their covenant. Mm -hmm. And our covenant the, is the Torah. And your covenant is the Torah. Your agreement with God is the Torah. Mm -hmm. Not the Quran. Not the Quran. Okay. You're, not, you're, not, you're held to what's in your own book. Okay. You're held to what's in so your own book. So that's very interesting. Now, this is not the conventional wisdom. Most children of Israel, especially in Israel, especially in the United States, when they think about the Islamic perspective of the people of Israel, we rarely hear that we're supposed to be loyal to our own book. Why might that be? Okay. Uh, that is the case mm -hmm. because Islam has been politicized okay. because we have uh, groups within Islam mm -hmm. who like to uh, weaponize the Quran and use it as a, as a weapon against all people, not only the Jewish people. They just want to use it as a tool to assert their world hegemony. Okay. And in that path, uh, they tend to cherry-pick mm -hmm. verses in the Qur'an. Well, are there verses in the Qur'an that would indicate that we, the children of Israel, need to give up on our Torah and embrace the Qur'an? As a scholar of Islam, I have not come across uh -huh. 
a verse in the Quran that says that you should leave the Torah and follow the Quran unless you want to do so. In other words, it left the door open. It, first of all, we have a verse that says no, there's no coercion in religion mm-hmm. in Surah Al-Baqarah, which is the second chapter. Within our Quran, it says that Prophet Muhammad came to reconcile between the children of Israel. Those children of Israel who followed Jesus and then later ascended him to the status of God, and those children of Israel who rejected Jesus and later in some writings put him in a very negative light. First of all, it considered both Jews and Christians the children of Israel. That's, that's what the Quran... That's interesting. Yeah. It considered them both as the children of Israel. Like the Catholic Church is considered the children of Israel? The early church, would, and I'm not talking about the present church, uh, whether it's Catholic, Protestant, you're or Orthodox. You're about the church in Jerusalem, you're talking the church, about Peter yeah, the, and... Yeah, the church that existed at the time of Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's considered a Jewish sect, like a one Hebrew Yes, sect. okay. It's considered as a sect. Um, it's not really considered as, It's considered as people from Bani Israel. Mm-hmm. That's how the Quran views... Those, because it considers Jesus as someone who came from Israel. It's as right. someone from Bani Israel. Consider Jesus as, as someone from Bani Israel, and his message was to Bani Israel. And that message was distorted by the church. The Quran says that that message that Jesus came with was distorted by the church. For example, the church made of him a deity, a God. Mm-hmm. Quran disagrees with that. And says he should not be considered as that because he was not who is not more than a prophet, a sage, uh, a, a messenger of God who came not to violate the Sabbath, not to violate kosher laws, not to violate the Torah rules, but to restore the children of Israel to the Torah. That's how he's viewed in the Quranic text. And then it says that there are people who followed him from Bani Israel, from the children of Israel. There are people who actually thought he was a good prophet worthy of being followed. And then there are people who rejected him. Those two branches, those who, off, who, who supported him and those who rejected him, they both came from having been the children of Israel. So a rift over the years started to get bigger and bigger and bigger. 560 years later or, seven, or 600 years later when Prophet Muhammad appeared in Arabia, that rift had taken uh, well, by that point, role. the majority of Christians in the world were not from the children of Israel. Christianity has grown to encompass all of Europe and other places, and uh, probably, this, as you mentioned, uh, but uh, going back to theology, going back to theology, Prophet Muhammad's message was to Christians and to Jews. Actually, we don't call them Christians, we call them Nasara. The Quran call them like Nazarite, like actually even in Hebrew you call. Do you give them the same name in Hebrew? Nazrim. Uh, Nazrim. Yeah. From okay. Which yeah. is Nazareth in Hebrew. Which is Nazareth. So we give them the name Nasara and Yahud. Mm-hmm. So it says both Yahud and Nasara were originally children of Israel. However, there was a rift that took place, and that rift took place because the Nasara, who later became Christians or whatever name you want to call them started elevating Jesus from being uh, a chosen rabbi, a chosen prophet, a chosen person to guide the children of Israel, to being a son of God, and then to be God. Okay, and the Quran negates that. They say that that's wrong. You should not. And then they also introduce the triune God, which uh, the Quran says it's wrong. It's, it's a blasphemy against God. 
That's what, that's, those are the words of the Quran. And then also it has the message for the Jews saying, you have rejected Jesus. We understand you have rejected Jesus. And you have rejected Jesus for probably the reason, because the church interpreted Jesus in a certain way that caused you to reject him. I mean, I, I don't know what uh, reason for rejection, but there are reasons that I studied and I know why Jews rejected Jesus. And those reasons, uh, if explained properly, they're valid. I, I don't see why they shouldn't be valid. But that rejection, the Quran says, you should reject him as a son of God, but you should not reject him as a prophet. That's basically what the Quran teaches along those lines. We're going to have to agree to disagree on that. Okay. Okay. I don't see much progress being made there. Um, in uh, what respect? That we're not going to accept him as a prophet. Yeah, that's fine. If you don't accept him as a prophet, that's, that's, your, that's your choice. But it tells you, uh, don't curse him. That's, that's well, what's, what's more in interesting to me is whether or not we can say that Muhammad came to bring a message to mankind yes. in order to create what we would call the Noahide religion. We can look at it like this. Our patriarch, Abraham, or Ibrahim, had a mission in his life to mm-hmm. spread knowledge of the Creator yes, he all did. over the world. And at a certain point in history, he was... Uh, spoken to by this creator okay. and given a mission mm-hmm. to create a civilization in a very specific geographic location that would manifest the divine ideal in every sphere of human behavior, national life, international life, through uh, what we today call a nation. A nation. Yeah. Yeah. And that second mission, that second mission was carried on by his second son, Yitzchak. Okay. And Yaakov and the Hebrew the, tribes lineage, yeah. down, you know, whereas the first mission was perhaps inherited by his first son, Ishmael. Yeah. And then later through Muhammad and through Islam, can we say that Islam is the Noahide movement, the original mission of Abraham, of bringing mm-hmm. the word and blessing of God to mankind through spreading knowledge, place by place, that's supposed to work in partnership with the second mission that was inherited by the children of Israel. Yeah. Well, you've got to understand that the, the Quran, as revealed to Prophet Muhammad, does not disagree with you, for example, observing the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. In fact, it encourages you to observe the Sabbath. Okay. And says that those Jews who don't observe the Sabbath are violating a, cov- a very important covenant mm-hmm. And they were the likes of apes and and swines. Ah, so that's, that's where that's. Okay. I've, so, I've heard that before. Yeah. So, so that's the Jews who are not observing the Sabbath. Yes, okay. were like swines and 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 and, and uh, apes and apes. For us, the children of Israel, yes, have a very specific mission that's uh, accomplished, achieved through the vehicle of a national identity. A very primordialist national identity mm-hmm. that, like, we left Egypt, that we received the Torah at Sinai as, a, as 12 tribes, as a national identity that then came into a specific homeland, developed a specific culture and civilization in that homeland, which was meant to achieve something. Okay. Now, Christianity came and, best case scenario, attempted to universalize that's these teachings, this teachings yes. which is almost like taking it back to the original mission of Abraham, let's oh, say, like okay. to universalize these teachings. So they're not 
only particularly uh, addressed to the tribes of Israel, but to the whole world, to all of mankind. Okay. And I would say that even in universalizing the Torah, even in universalizing our message, Christianity has gone astray. My question is, is Islam an improvement on that? Meaning, is Islam perhaps a more successful attempt to universalize these teachings and spread them to mankind in a way that's much more compatible with the Torah Torah of Israel and the mission of Israel, the national mission of Israel? Meaning, can Mm -hmm. the national mission of Israel work in cooperation with the universalist mission of Islam? That's my question. Okay. In my view, it can. Because I know that uh, the children of Israel in that context have a certain role to play and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cites that in multiple verses. For example, it says that uh, in in, in Surah Al-Dukhan, it says, وَلَقَدْ اِخْتَرْنَاهُمْ عَلَىٰ عِلْمٍ عَلَىٰ الْعَالَمِينَ Which says, the children of Israel have been chosen for their knowledge to guide mankind through their knowledge to God. So it's a very clear text that tells me as a Muslim that your people have been chosen based on their obedience and abilities and their knowledge to uh, worship God and to be an example for others in worshiping mm-hmm. Hashem, God. Now your, um, your question alludes to what... I mean, my, uh, qu- my question is the compatibility of the Islamic universalist mission okay. with the Jewish nationalist mission. Yes. For 1400 years, mm-hmm. uh, Jews were living within the Ummah, mm-hmm. the Muslim Ummah. Okay? And let's, you and I agree that they did not suffer the kind of persecution that they experienced under Christendom. Yeah, I agree. We, 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 yes. we both agree on that. Okay? So what was their status in this Muslim Ummah during the time that they were within the Muslim Ummah? Their status range from being equals to being demi. Equals meaning, these are people who worship God their way. Mm-hmm. They didn't kill our prophet. They didn't kill our God, like you know, other people think that you killed their God. And they have, uh, they have the Torah. They have a book. They are people of the book. And that's the endearment term that is used by the Quran to describe Jews, for example, or the children of Israel, for example. Ahlul Kitab. So within the Ummah, within this 1400 years, they lived in Muslim communities, whether it is in North Africa, Mesopotamia, Levant, uh, Yemen, and other parts of the Muslim world. For the most part, peacefully within their neighbors. They go to the synagogue, Muslims right. go to the masjid. But, that but in was a situation that. of powerlessness. Okay. Dependency. Now, now, okay. now we have to have the conversation because we're living yes. in, a, in a generation where the children of Israel and I was going to come to that to power. Yes. We have power again and the question is how can we work I, w- together in a situation where we have Excellent. Power? Excellent. So that that coexistence mm-hmm. that lasted for a number of centuries from the the start of the Muslim calendar 1400 years ago until 70 or 80 years ago when there was a movement to bring the Jewish people back to what historically has been the state of Israel or Palestine. The there was a movement, land. or the Holy Land. There was a movement to bring them Zionism, to the homeland. The movement of Zionism to bring them to bring them here. That movement, the best way for me to describe it, it took Muslims by surprise. Okay. It took Muslims by surprise, off guard. Mm-hmm. People were saying, "Why do they need to have their own country? 
or take obviously this Palestine was mostly Arabs and Muslims living here there were some Christians living here but for the most part it was surrounded by Arab and Muslim countries uh, this this land and and yes there was a small contingent of Jews who lived here for many many generations but the majority of the people who lived here were not Jews at the turn of the 20th century, for example. Or if they were Jews, they were Jews who had been converted to Islam or Christianity by foreign conquerors. Probably. I, that, I have not been exposed to that, but that might, might have been the case. Um, so Muslims were surprised uh, and maybe antagonistic toward the Jews saying, no, they're coming to take our land. This is a, they didn't view you as religious Jew. They didn't view you as people who follow the Torah. They viewed you as colonizers who come in to grab land. Just like because you came from a colonist background of uh, France and England and who actually colonized the land before you. Before you came, this land was colonized by other people like, for example, England was colonizing land all yes. over the place. So they viewed you with that lens. As an extension of that. It's just another... Yeah, another colonizing uh, force coming to, mm-hmm. to subjugate us to subjugate the Palestinian people. So that's the lens in which you were viewed through. And that's how difficulties, how, how um, problems started to arise from viewing you in that light. You were not viewed as people in our Quran who came to the land of their, to their birth, to the birth of their Torah, to the birth of their prophets and so forth, and wanted to live in peace with their neighbors. While fulfilling some form of biblical prophecy. While fulfilling, yes, exactly. However, later generations of Muslims, as they started digging deep in the Quran, found out that, oh, we have verses here that says that at the end of days, you're going to come here and you're going to live here. And that probably maybe was uh, used to uh, get Muslims to view you in a different light, gradually. So, So could we say that the return of the children of Israel to our land is the fulfillment of even Islamic prophecies? One could say that based on certain reading of the Qur'an in Surah Al-Isra, which is chapter number 17, yes. One could say that. But it's, it's not a, a fulfillment. popular view, meaning there, there are conflicting verses? or there's... No, 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 there are no conflicting verses, but there are conflicting interpretation oh, so of the you, same verse. So please, an example of a conflicting interpretation, just so I can understand. Um, so that you can understand, the verse is very clear. فَإِذَا جَاءَ وَعْدُ الْآخِرَةِ جِئْنَا بِكُمْ لَفِيفًا this is a verse in, 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 in the chapter number 17 in the Quran, Surah Al-Isra, and it says in clear Arabic term, when the last days come, uh, Jews will be coming from all corners of the earth to this land, to live in this land. Now, to any um, you know, impartial reader of the Arabic text in this, will say, yeah, this is, this is a prophecy that took place when you came. Others say, oh, this is in the last days. We're not living in the last days. What do you mean by the last days? You see what I'm saying? But at the beginning of the surah, the same surah, it says that your people uh, have uh, committed mischief uh-huh. twice. Okay. And in the first time, they were taken down. What was the first time? Uh, the first time is usually attributable to the Syrians who came and destroyed the temple. The oh, no, the Babylonians. Uh, was yes. it the Babylonians? No, the Assyrians destroyed the kingdom of Israel. The kingdom of the, the temple was in the kingdom of Judah at the time, and the Babylonians came and destroyed that uh, later. Yes. Um, so yes, when the Babylonians came and destroyed that that temple, mm-hmm. 
um, and then it says that God gave you a chance to rebuild again. Right. The second uh, temple. The second time. So there's a dispute. There's the a Romans di- destroyed that. Yeah, but, but then there's a disputation whether the second time is now or the second time happened already during the Roman time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but that clearly the, wasn't the end of days. Uh, that wasn't the end of days. Some people said now these are the end of days, not, that, not back then. So, so uh, that happened. But then it, it says something very interesting in the Quran about your people. It says... Uh, what that term says in English if you are true your Torah you will prosper if you are not true to the Torah you will be destroyed again that's what God said in the Quran similar similar verses verses okay so how do we deal with this within uh, the ummah today the Arab ummah the the Islamic ummah today the fact that you're here Mm -hmm. you have a nation state you want to self-rule yourself you don't want other people to rule you because yeah you don't want someone to rule you you want to rule also our Torah commands us to have political sovereignty over this land okay that's part of living according to Torah Okay. Meaning, for example, you know, when we speak about the type of disloyalty to the Torah that we're warned about, surrendering mm. part of our territory is disloyalty to the Torah. Excellent. Now then let me ask you the question. Where in the Torah that says what you just told me? Throughout Dvarim, okay. the book of Dvarim, but also in the end of Bamidbar, in Parshat Maseh, we have these warnings. You have to understand that our Torah is dynamic, it's alive. It's not just like a static book. Okay. You, you have to remember that the Kadosh Baruch Hu creates time and space. He doesn't. He's not limited to time and space. You know, we're limited to time. We experience yesterday is yesterday, and tomorrow is tomorrow, and next week is next week. But it's all happening simultaneously for Hashem. Okay. Because right? time is a creation of His. Okay. He's not bound by it, of course. Yes. So, at a certain point in history, as we experience it, He lowered the Torah into the world this divine ideal from before creation that was lowered into the world in order to lead us and all of mankind beyond our current limitations. But that Torah is dynamic. That Torah shares a soul with us. Just like we say that the nation of Israel shares one soul. We mm. call it Knesset Israel. Okay. And it's like one giant spiritual organism that shines into this world through millions of bodies in space and time called Jews. Now it also shines into this world in geographic form as the land of Israel or Palestine, okay. and it also shines into this world in written form as the Torah. Like, we share a soul with the Torah. Okay. We share a soul with the land of Israel. Okay. And we share a soul with each other. So, in mm-hmm. essence, you, you, when you were out of this land, your, your soul was... We're well, disconnected from ourselves. You were disconnected we're from like a, We're, we're uh, like a, a, a plant growing outside of its natural habitat. A plant growing out of its natural habitat. Right. Yeah. We're just not yeah. us. And I think we can see throughout history that we weren't yeah. us. When you look at the biblical Hebrews and then you look at the Jews That's of the last 2,000 years, there's a difference there. And now that we've come back, part of coming back, any nation that experiences yes. liberation has to kind of come back to itself. It's part of tshuva, really, for us. It's part of okay. tshuva. But, you know, any nation has to go through this kind of post-colonial experience, like, you know, which we never did. We defeated the British Empire, we conquered this land, um, we lowered the British flag, and we made the mistake of just putting our flag on their system instead of asking ourselves what kind of system, what kind of state 
what kind of structures would be expressions of our identity, of our values, etc., mm -hmm. which is obviously something every nation has to do when they experience liberation. We haven't done it yet, but I'm still hopeful that we will do it. I would look at the state of Israel as a caterpillar, mm -hmm. and my goal is to bring it to the butterfly stage, that we can reach our potential and be what your Quran says we've come back to the world to be. Okay. The Torah, it's alive. And it interacts with us. We have a relationship with it. That's, uh, you know, we had the Torah Sheval Peh, the, the oral Torah, even before we had the written Torah, even before we came yeah. to Sinai. Avraham kept the laws of Kashrut. Avraham ate matzah on Pesach, on Passover. Mm -hmm. It was before we went to Egypt, before we came out of Egypt. Meaning that what we call the oral law is just like our nature, our national okay. culture that develops. Sure. And our Rhythm sages, mm -hmm. uh, and our sages uh, are very clear, uh, starting with the Ramban, it's known as Nachmanides, uh, but then it's... Maimonides. No, Nachmanides. Oh, oh the Ramban. Ramban, not with Ramban. With an yeah. He says in his commentary on the Rambams, on mm -hmm. Maimonides, okay. Book of Mitzvot, okay. he says, on his supplement, he says, we're commanded in every generation to liberate our homeland, mm -hmm. to develop it, Mm -hmm. like to not leave it desolate mm -hmm. uh, like to build in it and to not let any of it fall into Gentile rule okay. Right? okay and he says something else very important you know in the part of the Torah in uh, the end of Bamidbar in Pashat Maseh when we're commanded to, to fight and expel those who are in the land before us he makes a very important distinction between those who have sovereignty here or want sovereignty here versus those who are just people living here meaning that we had a Torah obligation to fight the British to throw them out. Mm -hmm. But if Palestinians are just interested in living here, being part of our society, and building a future with us, we have no obligation to fight them. Okay. And it's an important distinction more Jews need to make. Okay. Like when foreign empires come here, whether it be the Greeks, whether it be the Romans, whether it be the Byzantines, whether it be the Crusaders, whether it be the, uh, the Mamluks or the Ottomans or the British, we have an obligation to fight them until our land is free. Until? Until our land is free. Until, until the land is free. Until, until we, we have, have sovereignty again. But we also have laws on how we're supposed to treat the Gentile in our society. The, the residents of the land. Yes, the, and many times in history yeah. we've had allies in this country who are not the children of Israel. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting, whenever you know, the, the Torah speaks about righteous Gentiles, and Onkelos, who, was, uh, who lived around the first century, Onkelos mm -hmm. um, translated our Torah into mm -hmm. Aramaic. Okay. And whenever he speaks about righteous Gentiles in his, in his uh, translation, he refers to them as Muslims and as Islamic. Mm. This is the first century, mm. before there was a Quran. And this language was used to refer mm. to Noahides, to refer to the righteous Gentiles. Okay. Muslims, Islamai and Muslamai. These are the words he uses. Mm -hmm. And I have to assume mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. Muhammad, peace be upon him, knew this, mm -hmm. that this was terminology that was in use, okay. and saw himself as really creating the movement for righteous Gentiles. Mm -hmm. The movement to bring humanity, not just the children of Israel, but all of humanity, close to the Creator. Yes, he had the message to bring all of humanity um, voluntarily into the submission to the one, to one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is clearly stated 
in in the Quran. He rejected uh, making a deity out of a human being, for example. He rejected uh, trying God. He, um, he basically, uh, in many verses in the Quran, his example, he followed the example of Moses, mm -hmm. if you will. And, and he was I'm commanded to do so. If I'm not mistaken, he also advised Jews to seek advice from the rabbis to solve their conflicts, correct? Their examples. Yes, fil ilm they call them, those who have knowledge. Uh, he's, he advised them to, to seek, yes, to seek advice from their sages mm -hmm. uh, on matters of, uh, of what's, what's written in the Torah. Mm -hmm. But there were uh, also Jews that he had problems with. So maybe and we should talk are, about that a little bit. Yeah, and there are Jews that Prophet Muhammad had problem with. And uh, those are the Jews. Um, uh, there are two categories of Jews that he had a problem with, according mm -hmm. to my studies. One category were the Jews who are hypocrites. Okay. They say we are Jews, but yet they make mockery of the, of the Torah. They don't observe the Sabbath. They uh, connive ways to violate the Sabbath and then project to other people that they are observing the Sabbath when they're really not observing the Sabbath. And, uh, or, or, or actually um, ask people to be righteous when they're not righteous mm -hmm. themselves. You are asking other people to be righteous when you yourself are violating mm -hmm. those laws. And then there is an admonition that says, be keen, be, one, be, be, be conscious of that, and be an example instead of just violating your own mm -hmm. laws and asking people to follow that, those laws. Anyhow, so that's the first category. The second category I had a problem with were actually Jews who lived n as neighbors to him in Arabia, mm -hmm. and he engaged them in a, um, in a, in a, in a uh, what can be best described as an asylum or a, a decree that's an agreement of some, court, uh, of some sort uh, where they had certain duties towards him and he had certain duties toward okay. them. A covenant of sorts. Uh, covenant of sorts, yes. yeah. And then uh, history have it that uh, those particular Jewish tribes mm -hmm. sided with Muhammad's enemies mm -hmm. against Muhammad. These are the Sadducees. These Jews were what we call the Sadducees, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the, some Jewish rabbis say that that's the case, that these were the Sadducees mm -hmm. who uh, did this and violated and then that was considered as treason by Muhammad and his newly uh, following, uh, you know, the, the, the new the found nation of Islam and uh, a fight broke out between his newly found nation and the, those tribes, those Jewish tribes that ended in expelling them from Arabia. I don't know if they came to the Holy Land or they went somewhere else, but that was the result of uh, the, those problems that they ha he had. Mm -hmm. Some people say, no, he had a problem because he didn't follow him. They didn't follow mm -hmm. his message. The, that uh, he was nice to them at the beginning, but when he invited them to Islam and they rejected, uh, rejected Islam, he fought them. That's, that's nonsense. That's nonsense? That's nonsense. Okay. He always invited them to the Torah. The Quran says, mm -hmm. He always invited them to follow their own book. But as you know, in history, people tend to change uh, what is not only what's written, but even if it's written in a certain way, they tend to want to interpret it in a different way. The long and the short of it, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, wanted Jews to follow 
their Torah because he knew that it comes from the same mishkat, the mm -hmm. same source where his own revelations come from. Mm -hmm. So how can it be coming from the same mishkat? And he tells them to disobey it and follow mm -hmm. something else. In addition to that, they had a different tongue than Muhammad did. Okay. And the Quran acknowledged that. It says that the Jews had a different tongue than he did. So the fact that they had a different tongue, it also says that every prophet comes with a, with a tongue other than the previous prophet. So he had, a, he had the Arabic tongue, they had the, the Hebrew tongue. Okay? And follow the laws as they were revealed in the Hebrew Torah was his uh, was the commandments that he was commanded to tell the Jewish people mm -hmm. to do now the ones who violated Judaism or the ones who are were considered kufir mm -hmm. those are the ones he invited to Islam mm -hmm. he invited the kufir to Islam he invited the kufar to Islam which would make sense he, if we're talking about Sadducees okay. because they were yeah. from our from the uh, Hebrew perspective the okay. Sadducees were already kufring Okay. They were, they were already heretics. Okay. All right. So then that then that's all that problem. Many of them had even sided with the Romans against us during our revolutions. Interesting. Okay. So that probably solved that problem that exists within our respective texts about how to interpret it so that we, as Arabs and Muslims living in this region, mm -hmm. and the nascent state of Israel or the state of Israel that's been here for seventy years now can coexist and live in peace and let our differences be the subject of the day of judgment, be, the, be, be solved hereafter. Because that's what the Quran teaches. The Quran teaches us that there's going to be differences. Okay. And I that mean, those differences should not be resolved here, they so, should be so resolved I, here. I think it's a question of what we mean by differences. Because I'm interested okay. now. I would say that Zionism was a very particularist Jewish national movement okay. that aimed to bring the Jewish people home to the land of Israel. This is important for me. Rabbi Hakohen here with me, and he's going to talk about if there is a way to reconcile between Jews and Arabs without Zionism being an obstacle. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, please. I think part of the problem is when we use words like Zionism, we all have different definitions and we're often having very different discussions. So I think it's important to define terms. I would define Zionism as a very particularist Jewish nationalist movement that existed from the 1880s until 1967 okay. with the aim of returning the Jewish people to our land, reviving the Hebrew language, and achieving self-determination. Okay. Now, I would say that many of the Zionist leaders, there are, very, there are rival ideological streams, yes. rival political streams within Zionism. Some were much closer to our Torah. Mm -hmm. Some were much closer to our traditions and to our historic identity and to our national aspirations. And some were, just looked like European uh, colonialism with some Jewish decorations. Here you go. And I would say that Zionism succeeded meaning the Jewish people did come back to the land of Israel. Although there were goals of Zionism that did not succeed, for example, ending anti-Semitism or normalizing the Jewish people in the world. That didn't happen. But some of the deeper aspirations of the Jewish people were fulfilled, okay. returning to our land, returning to political independence, the revival of the Hebrew language, also the, the land becoming uh, very productive. Cool. But I would say Zionism ended in 1967, 52 years ago. 
and it, what replaced that? Oh, before? so that's oh, our so. problem. Our yeah. problem is that the successes of Zionism were achieved through, in many cases, very messy means. Okay. Meaning that I don't know if they could have been achieved other ways or not, but here we are. We're here now, 71 years mm. after the State of Israel was established, 52 years after we returned to Jerusalem. And the question for me is not what was done or what should have been done, but what comes next. Okay. I'm interested in a post-Zionist Jewish liberation movement okay. that will aspire to clean up Zionism's mess while protecting its positive achievements. We need okay. now, let's say Zionism is the vessel. We created the state of Israel. We can say that's the vessel, the material. We look at Zionism, our sages even mm -hmm. look at Zionism as the... Um, material, physical rebuilding of the nation of Israel in our land okay. without the spiritual content. But now we need to focus on the content. Okay. What are the values? What are we going to fill the vessel with? with? Right. And in filling the vessel, okay. I think we need to focus, because I think one of our aspirations, of course, as a Semitic people that's originally from the Middle East, was displaced from the Middle East, and now has come back to the Middle East, I think we need to obviously focus on indigenizing into the region, becoming an organic part of the region, mm -hmm. not to exist here as an outpost of Western civilization or an extension of American power here, but actually as an organic part of the region at peace and in unity with our neighbors. So we should be focusing, when filling that vessel with content, we should be focusing on the aspects of our identity that we share in common with our neighbors. Mm -hmm. So I would define myself as a Semitist. I believe okay. in Semitism. I believe in uniting the Semitic peoples. Mm -hmm. I believe in finding common ground between us and the Palestinians, between us and the broader Semitic region, in order to create a shared struggle mm -hmm. where we in this region are working in partnership for regional interests. Okay. And right now we're doing the opposite. We're all allowing ourselves to be used as tools of outsiders for them to achieve their interests in the region. Yes. And... I believe we came back to life for a reason. I believe the children of Israel came back to life in order to lead humanity somewhere better. That's a very noble cause. I applaud that cause. And uh, we have an obstacle in that, okay. in that path. Our obstacle is that we have uh, the state of Israel here mm -hmm. being strongly supported by Christian Zionism in America, for example, that not only uh, give arms and uh, veto power in the UN, but also has a theology that um, you are here so that you can become Christian or be eliminated. You're saying that's the theology of the Christian Zionists in America. Exactly, and it's vocal. They have it on YouTube, they have it everywhere. That's what they tell their followers. The reason we're supporting the state of Israel is, is for that cause. And Israel is accepting that aid from them. Uh, so how, how do you reconcile that? How do we, how do we handle it? Well, I, I would distill some of what you're saying. I think okay, there is okay. a support that Israel receives from Christian Zionists, and I agree with you that I think their intentions are to ultimately either turn us into Christians or see us die. Yeah. Uh, but I think that the weapons we receive from the United States is really an American government subsidy to its own arms industry. I think at the end of the day, the, you know, we are stuck in a situation where we're given money by the U.S. government, we have to spend 100% of it on U.S. products. Interesting. Okay. Uh, you know, for example, when I was an Israeli soldier, I had Israeli-made boots. Mm -hmm. Today, Israeli soldiers wear American-made boots because mm -hmm. we have to buy our products in the United States. The Israeli boot factory closed down. Mm. We have a problem 
that our political leaders have yeah. allowed us to become like a, a vassal almost of the United States. They like to see us, uh, and that's uh, and that's creating Zionism. a problem for you in the Middle right. East uh, with your neighbors because yes. they view you as a puppet regime. Right, right, right. But I'm telling you, and that, a colonial outpost. So I'm, I'm telling you that there are many Israelis, okay. specifically. Specifically, and this is maybe the big surprise for, for many of your friends and yes. listeners. Specifically, the Israelis living in the West Bank, okay. right, who are connected to our Torah, okay. who are connected to our history, okay. who are connected to our land, who do not want to be an outpost of Western civilization here, who want to be an authentic expression of our people's identity in line with the values of our ancestors, of our sages and our prophets, and I'm telling you that this vision mm -hmm. uh, that's coming out of the most radical mm -hmm. ideological communities, okay. Jewish communities, in the West Bank, in okay. Samaria and Judea, and Jerusalem, okay. this is the Jewish ideology that's most likely to be able to, to find common ground with our neighbors in the region. Okay. And this is what needs to be supported. The Jews who are coming from a perspective of Jewish history, who are living the aspirations of our people and are willing to fight for those aspirations. Okay. Now, uh, then, the, do you agree with me that the U.S. role in this region has not brought peace? Of course it hasn't brought peace. And they okay. make money from the conflict. And they make money from they, the conflict? They, of course, benefit from the conflict. They benefit from the conflict. So do you agree with me that... But that's how imperialism works. Okay. I understand. So do you agree with me that in order to really advance peace and normal relations between the people mm -hmm. of Israel, the Jewish people, and their neighbors, mm -hmm. uh, we should ask the U.S. to step aside? Yes. I think, yeah. that, I think yeah. there is a relationship mm -hmm. between American and European involvement in the Middle East and the inability of the children of Israel and our neighbors to get along. I think mm -hmm. that for us to really make peace, and when I talk about peace, I don't just mean you don't fire at me and I don't fire at you. For me, peace means unity, that okay. we are unified, that we see ourselves as natural allies, that we want to build a region together. Mm -hmm. For us to be able to achieve that, we need the entire Semitic region to be free of uh, Western powers. Okay, but here is what, here is really where uh, Western powers may feel a little bit antagonistic and, and feel a little bit of fear saying okay now Omar as a Muslim and Hakon as a Jew gonna get together then they gonna uh, be a threat to us so how can we um, I'm, I'm not uh, looking to be a threat to anyone we can be friendly to the United States we don't need to be antagonistic sure. but we can't have them controlling what takes place in our country or in this region mm -hmm. and we certainly can't let them drive us into conflict with our neighbors so that they can make money okay look I'm interested in the liberation of my people Okay. And if I was living uh, 80 years ago, the liberation of my people would mean fighting the British Empire to free my land. Okay? okay. I'm not living 80 years ago, I'm living now. And I believe that in this generation, Jewish liberation demands independence from the United States, demands unity with my neighbors, and demands a post-colonial conversation that allows the children of Israel, now that we've returned to our land, to have a real conversation amongst ourselves what makes a state Jewish? Mm -hmm. How do we express the values of our people, of our prophets and our sages in a modern nation state in the 21st century? How do you run a banking system? Should we charge interest or should we not charge interest? Should, how, what about Shemitah, the sabbatical year? Should we wipe out people's debts uh, every seven years or not? What do minority rights look like 
in an authentic Jewish society. Okay. Right? These, these are, are all good values. We need, to, the, 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 we need to be speaking about this now. Uh, the, the, these are all beautiful values, and I would definitely support my uh, Jewish brothers and sisters in exploring those areas, uh, especially uh, the areas in finance and and, and uh, Like the socioeconomic and aspects of our Torah. Absolutely. I mean, uh, we have strong admonition against charge of interest in Islam. Mm -hmm. uh, but somehow we got engulfed and we are subject to the international money system that interest is really part, an integral part of how dealings are taking place, how money is exchanging hands. Um, and to cooperate on this mm -hmm. between, say, Muslim scholars and Jewish scholars uh, in a way that would... And economic experts. And economic Correct. experts, absolutely, absolutely, and economic experts. Uh, in applying the laws mm -hmm. of the Torah and of the Quran that both agree that uh, interest should be avoided is... It's a great so, so these are the conversations I think we need to have. And these might be the conversations that bring us together. But mm -hmm. ultimately, I think that Jewish liberation mm -hmm. demands, at this point in history, attempts to unify with our neighbors, not to try to be what Ehud Barak, one of our former prime ministers, called a villa in the jungle, that Israel mm -hmm. should simply be this kind of like outpost of Western civilization in an otherwise savage region. Yeah, we need yeah. to get away from that kind of thinking. We need to understand that the people who live in this region are our natural allies, are the people we actually deep down have most in common with, and these are the people we need to unite with, and we live next to. Mm -hmm. Meaning, uh, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, America can go away, and, and you're still going to have the people. Right. We're still going to live here, and I think we here. need to, yeah. if we want to live here long term, if we want this to work, if we want to be able to march forward and create a better future for our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, we need to be able to unite with our neighbors. We need to be able... We can be friendly to the United States. We don't need to be antagonistic. Sure. But we can't have them controlling what takes place in our country or in this region. Mm -hmm. And we certainly can't let them drive us into conflict with our neighbors so that they can make money. That's Because at the end of the day, they're not only selling weapons to us. Also That's Egypt... Not. There's also Jordan, Arabia and also Saudi Arabia. the Palestinian Authority, also Saudi Arabia, also Bahrain, meaning all over the Middle East, people are buying their weapons from the same place. Meaning there's money here. Mm -hmm. And we can't allow foreigners to divide us. We need mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. uh, become conscious of who benefits from our conflicts to be able to move past those conflicts. Excellent. So what would be your message to the uh, Arab, uh, Arabs and Muslims in in the area, what would you say as a, as, a, as a rabbi? I would say that it's important to really explore the questions that you're exploring. What are the children of Israel in Islamic thought? We need to have conversations also, what is Islam from the Torah perspective? And okay. to see if we can create the space for the children of Israel to be Muslims according to the Islamic definition of what a Muslim is, while being loyal to our book, okay. being loyal to our Torah, and loyal to our identity, and for us to view the Islamic world as the Noahide movement and Excellent. a way to spread the ideas of our ancestors throughout the world, all of humanity. You touched on a very good point. Actually, the Quran describes you as Muslim mm -hmm. as you obey your Torah. Mm -hmm. Because Muslim means sub someone who submits. Okay. So there are in more than one verse, the Quran describes the Jewish people, describes the children of Israel mm -hmm. as Muslims. Mm -hmm. Um, right, you would say uh, Moshe was a Muslim. Yes. David was a Muslim. Exactly. Right. Suleiman was a Muslim. Therefore, their followers are Muslims. Then and I would be a Muslim. Then you would be a Muslim. Under, because I'm loyal uh, to my Torah. Because you're loyal to your Torah, yeah. you're a Muslim. Mm -hmm. 
And that kind of education is the kind of education that will actually bring people together. Yeah. That kind of education is, is definitely something that, is, that will bring peace between the people. Mm-hmm. We're not interested in peace between governments because governments change all the time and, 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 it, and the people still not benefit from that. So we definitely are looking for how we effectuate mm-hmm. peace between people and there can be no better way than our own traditions, our own religion, as a source of... Um, the wisdom of our prophets. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> This is uh, Yudha Cohen, Vision Magazine, Brit Chazon. Please rate us, give us a five-star review. You can see the show notes for this episode at visionmag.org backslash the next stage six. We'll catch you next time.